Heavenly Father, I thank you for this servant of God. Lord, we pray that you would anoint him by your Holy Spirit to teach us your word. Help us to have hearts that are like clay before you. Father, shape us into the kind of vessel that you want us to be through this man. We ask your anointing on him and his marriage, your anointing on him and his ministry and his important ministry over at St. Peter's. Mm. We thank you for sending him back to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, before I talk about Galatians 1, I think it would be, I'd be remiss to not mention the fact that you guys became a parish yesterday. So, um, that's, that's a really big deal. It might not feel like a big deal. It might be like, this is the same as last Sunday. But uh, it is a big deal. Um, also, to the diocese, it's a big deal. It's, it's pretty unprecedented that a church plant will become a church this quickly. And it says a lot about the faithfulness of the leadership here and the faithfulness of you guys. Um, not just that, but um, churches are looking to incarnation. It's an encouragement and a blessing to hear what's going on here. And it's also an instruction. I mean, churches are doing things because incarnation is doing them. And that is really incredible uh, for a church plan, what, two years? Yeah, we officially launched a little over a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, that is the Lord. That is the grace of God at work. So it's really awesome. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we pray that we would be sanctified and you would be glorified through your word this morning. In this, we depend on your love and your grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So at some point in all of our lives, and probably for a lot of us right now, uh, we have been, had the experience of being what I call a care leader, or a caring leader. And this is a different kind of leadership than just normal leadership. It's when you're leading someone or a group of people for their own good. Um, so maybe you're a priest, maybe you're a campus minister, maybe you're a parent. Maybe uh, you've got a friend who's come to you in a difficult time and wants you to, to lead them through that hard thing. Um, maybe you've got a relative who's, who's sick and you're caring for them through that illness, right? When we find ourselves in these caring leader roles, there's all kinds of blessings and there's all kinds of curses. I don't mean that in a literal sense. There's all kinds of cons, right, to that. But probably the hardest challenge that the caring leader faces is that the success of your leadership is not in your control. It is not in your control. It is ultimately on those you're leading. And that's a really hard fact, especially the more you care about control. Right? <laughs> uh, when I was six, my mom, I, I got like ear infections. I got like three ear infections a day when I was a kid. It was, it was crazy. And uh, my mom would always take me to Dr. Quintana, who was my favorite doctor. He was awesome, gave me like stickers and stuff like that. And uh, as always, I would get the ear infection, go to Dr. Quintana, he would write me a prescription for amoxicillin. And um, I don't know if you guys have cotton candy flavored amoxicillin, <laughs> but it's better than cotton candy. It is like better than all candy. It is amazing, I love. I used to love amoxicillin. <laughs> and so we go home, and she gives me my first dose. 
in that little plastic cup, and it's so, it's not enough, you know, it's just a little bit. And so I get this little elixir of life, and um, and as usual, I say to my mom, um, can, I have some, can I have some more? Like, and I remember this, because this is a, a remarkable story. I, I remember her leaning down to me and saying, Brian, you cannot take medicine unless I give it to you, and you can only take as much as I give you. And I remember getting kind of, you know, one of those things down on your level in your eyes, right? And uh, so she went away. She was taking care of my little two-year-old brother. And I pulled up the oak kitchen chair uh, to the kitchen counter. And I climbed up on it. And I reached out. And I got the amoxicillin bottle. And I took the, the plastic uh, cup off. And I got through the child uh, safety lock. And I poured it. And I was just like having a little cocktail party. Of <laughs> How are you doing? You know. <laughs> so I took a plastic cup full, and then I was like, "Okay, I'll have another." And you know, I took another plastic cup full, and then I hear my mom's footsteps, and uh, so I'm like, "Oh God!" You know, so I right, put the cap back on. Probably didn't put it on right, and I put the plastic thing on, slid it back, put the kitchen chair back. I turn around, my mom's probably been there for like 20 seconds. <laughs> And in, in, in classic mom form, you just, what are you doing? Right. And I remember, I was just like, I drank more of the medicine. You know, I was just like, that's it, I drank more, I drank a lot. And, and immediately she is in damage control mode, right? And before she can be angry, she has to figure out if I'm gonna like overdose on amoxicillin. So she, she's like, am I gonna get this kid's stomach pumped? We're going to the ER. She, she calls poison control. She tells him how much I took. Apparently it wasn't too much. So they're like, just watch him, you know, if he starts, I don't know, dying, <laughs> take him to the ER. So my mom is a caring leader, a really caring leader, right? But ultimately, all of her efforts failed because of her little follower, this disobedient, unruly kid who just wants to drink amoxicillin. So this moment is probably familiar to most parents. Uh, it's probably familiar to most leaders in general, this feeling, right? I'm sure my mom felt anger, frustration, disappointment. She probably felt confusion, like, how could I have done this differently? He's only six, he's already like taking shots of prescription drugs behind my back. How am I gonna make it until he's 18, <laughs> right? But I like to imagine that uh, the Apostle Paul just came in that day. I like to imagine just our nice white French door, walk across the forest green carpet in 1995. And he just said to her, you know, Karen, like, I know how you feel. That's happened with like 14 different churches for me. Like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I think they would have commiserated really well together. Uh, because of all the things that worked against the Apostle, the Apostle Paul and his ministry, probably... The most frustrating thing was leading his own flock. I mean, for 30 years, he traveled throughout the Roman Empire, proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Everywhere he traveled, people would come to believe in the gospel. They'd form congregations. And then he would leave those congregations, and he'd warn them very intently, don't let go of the gospel that I've shared with you. Hold tight to it, because around every single corner, there's going to be opportunities to twist it, to bend it, and to lead this whole community astray. But every congregation had problems. 
Every single one. And Paul would hear about these problems, and he'd write these letters back to them. They'd later come to make up a third of the New Testament. Letters to the church at Corinth, Corinthians, and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, so on. But of all these letters, there's one letter where Paul is clearly the most upset. And it's the letter to the church at Galatia. Because Paul's letter to Galatia is essentially a church-wide amoxicillin moment. Paul's walking in and saying, what are you doing? He's writing to Galatia at a time when there was a real problem for Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Because on the one hand, Romans hated Christianity. It was this new thing. It was unpredictable. It was invasive. Hard to control. They're talking about this king. What are we going to do about this new king? And it's spreading like wildfire. And then on the other hand, the Romans were kind of okay with Judaism. Because it had been around a while. They were used to it. It was sort of a comfortable thing. It didn't really bother their political agenda. So Christians over here are persecuted. They're spoken ill of. They're rejected. And the Jewish people seem safe. And so amidst all this pressure, some Christians, they weathered the storm. They endured great suffering. The church continued to grow. But other Christians gave way. They began to add things on top of the faith. They began to add traditions and rites and rituals that made them look a little more Jewish, a little more Rome-friendly, get along in the culture just a little bit better. And the problem was, Paul leaves Galatia, and a group of these false gospelers walk into the newly formed Galatian church. And they don't like what they see. They immediately get to work on reshaping the Galatian church that Paul has left behind. They deny Paul's authority. They say, okay, he wasn't a real apostle. He's not one of the twelve. And who is this guy? He's a lone wolf. Why are you listening to him? No, 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 listen, listen to this. And they would teach a different gospel, a false gospel that incorporated Jewish and Rome-friendly practices and rites and laws. And so the Galatians quickly bought into it. You know, they're drinking the oxycillin. They begin to require rituals, require circumcision, and these other familiar practices. And it's at this point that Paul finds out. And he writes them this letter. And in the letter, it's clear that he's not interested in, in wasting any time at all. In a lot of the letters, you'll notice that, that Paul starts out with like a, a salutation that kind of says something great about them. Like, you, you're great, I love you, and all of a sudden. He, Paul does not do any of that. All he does, and I'm just going to kind of walk through the passage. I'm not going to do any references, but if you open it, we'll walk through it. All he does is say, Paul. An apostle, not from man or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Immediately, he just goes into it, reminding them he was appointed by Christ himself. No man has any say in the matter. He's an apostle. And they need to listen to him right now. And then after including that, he's writing along with all the brothers with him quote, all the brothers with him, he's reminding them, no, I'm not a lone wolf. 
There's a bunch of other guys around me as I'm writing this letter. They all think what you're doing is wrong. I'm not a lone wolf. Christ appointed me an apostle. Listen up. And then he addresses them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. If we want to understand the thrust of Galatians, we can't just like skip over this greeting like he's saying, what's up? <laughs> he extends them two things, grace and peace. The true gospel that Paul has been preaching all along is that through the cross of Christ, we obtain grace that covers our sin, and we gain peace with God. That's the core of our faith, a gospel of grace and peace. And the reason for Paul's frustration is they've abandoned the Christian gospel of grace and peace for a gospel that says that you're saved by these other things than the sacrificial work of Christ. And conveniently, in this gospel that they've constructed, the things that do save you are these things that everyone is so comfortable with. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? It works out so well. Everyone's so familiar with it. It doesn't produce any kind of conflict in the culture. It sounds nice. It feels nice. Only problem is that it's not Christianity anymore. <laughs> right? Paul says he's astonished that they have abandoned the gospel so quickly. It's almost like he's still like in the carriage or whatever the transportation was when he finds out. He's like, so quickly, you've left the gospel. They've turned to something entirely different. They've essentially started a new religion in Galatia. And for us, as readers of Galatians, we have to ask ourselves, how does this happen? We're challenged to ask ourselves how this happened. How could a group of people, after receiving the ministry of the Apostle Paul himself, I mean, if you read Acts, Apostle Paul is pretty amazing, right? If you read any of the epistles, we know the Apostle Paul is amazing. They receive it directly from him. How can they so quickly turn around and believe something so utterly different than what he taught them? And the answer lies in the final verse of our reading. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The false gospel of the Galatians is an effort to please the culture and ultimately to please themselves. Throughout the whole history of the church, false gospel after false gospel has come and gone and they all commit the same critical sin. They try to take away the odd, the radical things about the faith and customize it to please others, to satisfy their agendas, to please themselves. The false gospel maker says, all right, so what do we have here? We have a Roman culture that prefers Judaism. Okay, how about this for a gospel? God saves all those who believe in Jesus, that's important, but also who are circumcised and follow these laws. What's this over here? Okay, a materialistic culture. Let me think for a second. Okay, I've got the perfect gospel for you. It's called the prosperity gospel. The more you do good and trust God, the more money and things you'll get, the more you'll be blessed. Moralistic culture. All right, let's do, uh, let me see, legalistic gospel, all right? Here's all the rules. All you have to do is follow every single one by the T, and 
you will be awesome. You'll be saved. You'll be right there sitting next to God. It's going to be great. All of these Gospels are these efforts at taking our preferences, our desires, our opinions, and creating a tailor-made Gospel that fits just right. But the one true Gospel is never going to fit just right. Amen. Because it makes absolutely no human sense. <laughs> if it's true that we're all sinners, then our relationship with God is a huge fat gap. Right? We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So this is the picture. This is God, by the way, just to make that clear. <laughs> right? And the human sense in us says, all right, well, time to close the gap. Let's figure out how to close the gap. What actions do I need to do? What words do I need to say? What rituals do I need to buy into? What laws do I need to follow so I can close the gap? But the problem is, it doesn't matter how well-educated you are, it doesn't matter if you can't read a line of text, it doesn't matter if the culture loves you or hates your guts. This Thanksgiving, remember, it doesn't matter if you're the racist uncle in your family or if you're the really, you know, ethnically savvy, well-educated college student that's visiting, right? Every single person has fallen infinitely short of the glory of God. Amen. Infinitely short of the glory of God, and we have no chance of even making it up one rung yes. on the ladder to his seat in glory. Yep. But the Christian gospel that makes no human sense is that God closes the gap. Amen. That through his incarnation, God closes the gap. Through his death and resurrection, he rips us up out of the pit. And by his grace, we obtain peace with God. Grace and peace. God has made a way for the impossibly broken to find eternal peace. Grace and peace is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Would we dare touch that gospel? Would we dare change it to make more human sense? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, we do. Every day we're tempted to mold it, to shape it, to make it fit. And the second we think we don't, we need to refresh ourselves. Today, the Apostle Paul is our caring leader. Before we leave this building, he warns us, be wary of the human tendency to take hold of the gospel and shape it for our own purposes. We're all tempted to do it. But God's given us a radically different gospel that makes no human sense. Daily take hold of that gospel. Daily remember the grace and peace that you have in Christ. And let that gospel shape you. Amen.